Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the BLP Bulletin. I'm Danielle Berman. It is Monday, December 6th. Boy, has this year flown by. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving a little while back, a great Hanukkah last week for anyone who celebrated. I personally just finished cleaning off all the wax, candle wax for my menorah this morning. So ready to ready to put it away for next year. But thanks for joining me for another bulletin. Uh, unfortunately, I'm sure you guys heard last week in our announcement and before our episode with Clayton Freck of Angel City Sports, but unfortunately, we shared the news that one of our season two guests, Katie J. Scott, and her husband Gabe lost their lives just before the Thanksgiving holiday. If you haven't checked out Katie J. Scott and the work that she was doing with iAct, please go back to season two, episode eight and give it a listen. Her passion was contagious. It was one of my favorite episodes I've done on Big League Philanthropist thus far. And I hope you've had a chance to share or donate to the IACT uh, cause and mission and to the family fundraiser for her surviving children. What a tragedy. Thanks to all of you for your support of the IACT team and Katie J's family. Last week, we also shared our latest episode with Clayton Freck of Angel City Sports, and I hope you had a chance to check that out too. And a special announcement, we've been adding our episodes to YouTube as another way to watch. So starting with season three, episode one with Lafay Baker, all the way to Clayton Freck uh, last week. If you wanna watch the interviews as well as listen, you can. You can search Big League Philanthropist or Tackle What's Next on YouTube and you'll find them all there. And we'll keep adding them as we record. So uh, let's get right right in to this week's bulletin. So let's start things off with an update from the Women's Tennis Association. If you recall from our last bulletin, or if you've just been following this story, Chinese tennis star Peng Shui accused a former high-ranking Chinese government official of sexual assault and was basically deleted from the internet And it raised the alarm for all of us about her safety. And after no real updates from Peng Shui herself or from her family, the WTA announced last week that it is suspending tournaments in China because of concern over the safety of Peng Shui. Peng won doubles at Wimbledon in 2013 and the French Open in 2014. So, I mean, she's well known. She's a well-regarded player. And again, if you remember, the IOC did a video call with her that everyone kind of thought was a little bit forced. And everyone was like, you know, like how coerced was she to saying good things and nodding and smiling? So Steve Simon, the WTA chairman and CEO, wrote in part, And I quote, if powerful people can suppress the voices of women and sweep allegations of sexual assault under the rug, then the basis on which the WTA was founded, equality for women, would suffer an immense setback. I'm personally super proud of Steve Simon. It is incredibly heartwarming to see an executive in a major sport do the right thing for once. I can only hope that more sports organizations and leaders follow suit. And speaking of, you know, along these same lines, staying in the world of of China and sports, the New York Times had an article called Do Sports Still Need China? And it was a fascinating read that I really encourage you to take the time to dive into this week. It highlights the different sports organizations around the world and the leagues, both here in the U.S. and abroad, that do business in China, including the NBA, Formula One, the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, and more, and how the WTA seems to be making and really marking a turning point for sports in terms of seeing China as instead of just plain dollar signs, right, all money, really seeing the risk that's involved 
involved with associating with and kind of kowtowing to China. And many organizations are eventually going to have to choose between China's ROI and the rest of the world per the article. It's a really a big snapshot into what the future could look like with organizations choosing sides and really thinking hard before they jump into business with China. And I thought it was a super interesting read because we hear China, um, and, and, you know, especially us that may not be necessarily in the field of international relations or diplomacy or politics, you know, we see it as a business opportunity. There's a lot of people there, right? They buy a lot of things and it's a great opportunity to grow a fan base, especially in the sports space. But how much are these human rights allegations against the Uyghurs, which, you know, are 99% happening, you know, China's denying it, but pretty much we know they're happening. Um, you know, all of these things, like how much do we really want to align our brands with China? China. And I think this is a really interesting article where it highlights, you know, those leagues that have kind of gone all in with China or kind of said, hey, we're here to stay. And some like the WTA that are kind of saying, well, we don't really need China. It's it's nice. It'd be nice to have. Uh, so it was really interesting. I encourage you to read it, form some of your own opinions. Let me know uh, what you think and where you see this going. Changing gears, since it was Hanukkah last week, like I mentioned, the GIST had a great newsletter highlighting the awesome sports moments in Jewish history. And as the GIST is amazing at doing, they also highlighted Jewish activism and activism specifically against anti-Semitism, which included the work of Julian Edelman, who has been speaking directly to other players, professional athletes, when they use anti-Semitic language. Um, he has worked and, and sent direct letters to several pro athletes across sports when they've made slurs or anti-Semitic comments about, you know, really educating them, but also inviting them to come to a Holocaust museum with him or come to a Shabbat dinner, you know, really kind of giving them, giving them a chance to learn and, and really embrace the culture and say, Hey, before you use these terms or before you use this language, like think about this and let me expose you to Judaism a little bit. And so I love that. I love what Julian Edelman does. And it was a great read. I learned a lot. It made me proud to be Jewish. And if you read this edition of their newsletter, you'll, you'll get what I mean. But I thought it was really nice. Um, and I really loved uh, the highlight from the gist. Changing years again, unfortunately, last week we lost Lee Elder, who died at the age of 87. Elder was a golf legend, and he broke the color barrier as the first black man to play in the Masters tournament in 1975. And he paved the way for players like the legendary Tiger Woods today to enter and dominate in the sport. So the undefeated had an article that was written back in April where they interviewed Elder about that historic tournament in 1975 and how golf has or really has not changed today in terms of embracing uh, black people, black players, the popularity of the sport among black Americans. And they also interviewed avid golfer and NBA superstar Steph Curry, who considers Elder one of his idols. And they talked to Steph and to Lee about how to grow the sport's popularity and provide more accessibility to the sport for black Americans. It was a really interesting read. I know it came out in April, um, but in honor of the passing of Lee Elder, I thought it was a really great to read, to learn more about who he was, um, get, you know, obviously I'd heard the name before, but really to understand his journey uh, and the work he was still trying to do up until his death to really bring golf more, make golf more accessible, I should say, to the black community. So I encourage you to, to take some time this week to check it out. All right, going into the world of the NFL, or we're going to stay for the rest of the bulletin here. Baltimore Ravens offensive lineman Ronnie Stanley has launched his own foundation that matches dogs with people in need. His goal is to create a community where humans help animals and the animals help humans in return. 
The foundation trains and cultivates the therapeutic properties of rescue dogs that are going to then be matched with individuals who have faced different life challenges, like an illness, emotional trauma, other hardships. So these matches are even more meaningful because these rescue dogs get placed in their forever homes. The foundation has already trained and found forever homes for two dogs. And Stanley himself has adopted two dogs since 2016. And he was specifically looking for dogs that would not typically be adopted. And I love this story. It's a great cause. Um, and I, as someone who can't wait to have an adopted dog of my own one day, I know that I'll be cheering for Ronnie Stanley and his foundation as he moves forward with this. I think it's really important. A lot of people adopt dogs and say that, you know, obviously they gave them a forever home, but the dog changed their life. So I, I love that he's really trying to utilize that kind of bond of, hey, let me heal you and you heal me. Um, so congrats to Ronnie Stanley and good luck with that initiative. And again, we're staying in the world of the NFL. New England Patriots cornerback Jonathan Jones has partnered with Unruly Studios, which is an education technology startup, to launch the Get Active Coding Challenge for students in K through eighth grade. In addition to launching the challenge, Jones formed a $2,000 scholarship through his foundation called the Next Step Foundation to broaden access to computer science education. Uh, Sport Techie wrote about this, and they said there are three schools, including an elementary school in Jones' own hometown of Carrollton, Georgia, who are going to receive funding, and the, all students will receive a three-year membership to Unruly Splats from the Unruly Studios. I love seeing an NFL player partnering with a for-profit organization and using his own nonprofit to kind of create a bridge between that corporation, that for-profit, and the community. I think this is going to make such a big impact in the lives of all those students at these schools, uh, and it's exciting to see this investment and, and the impact it can make. And finally, also in the NFL world, the New York Times had an article last week that highlighted the state of the NFL league policy and progress has, that's been made when it comes to mental health. They interviewed several NFL players for the article, including Calais Campbell of the Baltimore Ravens, Aaron Rodgers of the Green Bay Packers, and Solomon Thomas of the San Francisco 49ers. Solomon has a personal story around mental health. His sister, Ella, unfortunately committed suicide, and afterwards he founded an organization called the defensive line, which aims to end the epidemic of youth suicide, especially for young people of color. And they work to do this by transforming the way that we all communicate about mental health. Now, this article was a really great read. The three players who have all had very different experiences with mental health shared how the league has evolved a little bit on mental health, but how the stigma still remains in the locker room. You know, guys don't necessarily want to talk and open up about things. They don't want to admit that they, you know, may be feeling depressed or anxious. Um, and they also talk about what could be done to improve it. So I think it was an important highlight. Um, kudos to all three of these guys for speaking out and sharing their opinions on this. Um, and thank you to the New York Times for this feature. I think it's really important to highlight what one of the most kind of macho oriented sports, right? Get up, you'll be fine. Get back out there. You could, you know, it's, it's, it's that kind of next man up mentality. So I appreciate them highlighting the NFL when it comes to mental health. I'm glad to see progress is being made. And I really, really love what Solomon Thomas is doing with the defensive line. So I encourage you to visit the defensive line.org and support Solomon's work. And that's it for this week. Thank you guys for tuning in to learn more about the world of sport philanthropy and athlete activism. We won't have a bulletin next week. I'll be on vacation later this week, but we do have another interview episode dropping next Thursday, which I know you will love. 
So I hope you all have a great week, a great weekend, and I will see you back here next time for another BLP Bulletin.